Welcome to Sarian Strategic Partners Podcast, a podcast focused on pre-transaction planning strategies and commentary for founders, entrepreneurs, and executives. Our team's mission is to help ensure that you obtain the maximum net value from your life's work. We work with you to develop pre-transaction planning strategies to help position you for personal financial success by identifying key tax, estate, and gifting issues prior to a sale or exit of your company. I'm your host, Greg Sarian, CEO and founder of Sarian Strategic Partners. So welcome to our continuing series on pre-transaction planning. Uh, These video podcasts are for founders and entrepreneurs who are driving and growing their company towards sale, merger, or a public offering. Really interesting topic today around risk management. So as you're moving your company towards that event, what should you be thinking about at the entity level to mitigate and control and manage risks? And then how about on the individual side? What are some key planning strategies to reduce risk and as you make that change from selling your company or having your company go through a transaction? So we've got two industry leaders today who will be able to speak to the entity side, and then I will speak to the personal side. So joining me today is Stephanie Hyde. Uh, Stephanie's got more than 15 years of experience in corporate risk management, and she is with PE Risk based in New York City. Uh, Prior to joining PE Risk, Stephanie was an executive director at Morgan Stanley's Investment and Risk Management Private Funds Group. And Wayne Crowther is also helping us today. Wayne is a vice president with Odell Studner Group, right outside of Philadelphia. He also has more than 15 years of experience of guiding companies through their risk management strategies. Prior to joining Odell Studner, Wayne was VP in charge of risk at American Business Financial Services. And Wayne is also a graduate of Villanova Law School. So, Stephanie and Wayne, we appreciate your, your time today. Stephanie, I know as we were chatting about this discussion, you talked about some really important issues founders need to be thinking about in terms of their DNO and going through the process of going public. Maybe you can speak more about, you know, what are some of those issues before a company goes public? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks very much for having me. I appreciate the time. And it's great to be able to be here with you and Wayne to discuss, as you said, a, a very important issue for founders. So kind of putting into two different buckets, as companies look from a, a DNO perspective, founder-based companies either to be purchased by maybe a private equity-backed sponsor or looking to go public, thinking about DNO is really important. A lot of times founders make the decision to not purchase DNO for their own company, but when they either go public or when they are looking to be sold to a private equity-backed sponsor, they need to make sure that they have a DNO policy in place that will be able to be put into runoff at the time of transaction close. If they don't have a DNO policy in place that would need to be put in runoff at time of transaction close, then they're going to have to buy one on a retro basis. And in today's market, that can be very expensive. What I would recommend founders do is engage a broker and think about some reasonable limits for the size of their company and what the company is going to be looking like over the next 12 to 24 months and get DNO in place. 
In conjunction with that, I think it's important to get other types of management liability lines of coverage in place as part of the DNO package. So DNO is obviously directors and officers and provides coverage from that standpoint, but other management liability coverages are EPL, employment practices liability, fiduciary liability, and crime, and sometimes cyber insurance can be bucketed into that as well. So really important that you think about having those insurances in place, what they're going to cost you on an annual basis, and then thinking about what it's going to cost you when you put those policies into runoff at the time of a, a transaction close. So you emphasize the importance, Stephanie, of the cost structure. What are some of the one-time and ongoing costs that founders, executives should consider when they're gearing their company up for a sale? Yeah, so I, I would put it into two different buckets of costs that you really need to analyze. The one-time costs, as you, as you mentioned, are, are very important. So a DNO and other management liability lines of coverage will need to be put into, in most situations, put into a six-year runoff at close. And the, the six-year usually lines up with the statutory limits. So you want to purchase a tail that is, in most cases, equal to six years. In the the past, I'd say, 10 years or so, most tail costs have been a one-time transaction cost of approximately 150 to 200% of the annual DNO cost at that time. The DNO insurance market right now, as a lot of other lines of insurance coverage are, it's hardened. And so we're seeing these one-time costs go from what would be 100 to 200% of the annual costs to somewhere around 250 to 300. And that can be a big amount of money um, when you're thinking about what your transaction costs are going to look like. So understanding what you think that that one-time cost will be and working with a broker to really estimate it. So you have that in mind. And then the second cost that I would think about, and this is more ongoing. A lot of times, say a private buyer, for example, a private equity-backed buyer will come in and they'll do due diligence on your business. And maybe insurances that you in the past didn't deem to be appropriate, or maybe you, you didn't think that you had, for example, a cyber exposure, or you didn't think that you had a, an environmental exposure. These types of buyers can be much more risk adverse than founder-based businesses. And they will look to have you purchase those coverages on an ongoing basis once their equity is in the ownership structure. So you want to understand what those costs are and factor them in to your model. So, so you're not taking a hit to your P&L when you're, you're essentially forced to buy an insurance coverage on a, a go-forward basis that you weren't buying before. Great. So when, when a seller is moving towards, they know in their mind they're getting ready to sell the company, what are issues they should be thinking about in a purchase and sale agreement? Sure. So a purchase and sale agreement, depending on what type of sale it is, will really dictate what's going to happen with the insurance post-close. So if you have an asset purchase versus a stock purchase, in an asset purchase, most of the insurance policies will be deemed to be excluded assets and therefore they will not survive the transaction. So uh, in that instance, you'll need to secure, a, in, in most instances, a 100% new insurance program at the time of transaction close. That can look a lot different depending on the, the dynamics of the marketplace. As I mentioned before, we're in a hard insurance market right now. So you can't just assume that the cost that you're paying prior to the transaction will just roll forward. So, so that's an asset purchase. In a stock purchase, most of the insurance policies will survive the transaction with the exception of um, 
claim-based policies. And claim-based policies are the DNO insurances, the employment practices insurances, and the cyber insurances in some instances. And um, in, in, for those lines of coverage, there should be sections in the purchase and sale agreement that dictate the term of the tail that will need to be purchased um, at the time of transaction close, and also who pays for that. So you as a, as a seller have the ability when you're in the negotiation phase with the buyer to, to put into the purchase agreement that the buyer will be responsible for paying the one-time tail costs. And I would really recommend that, um, that a seller look to do that because they're relatively small dollars in the grand scheme of things for the buyer. But for you as the seller, that can be pretty material. And so if you get ahead of it and you're able to um, put the onus on the buyer to purchase those tail coverages, it can put you in a, a much better financial position. Got it. Great. Very helpful. Wayne, turning to you, I know you've been involved in shepherding some of the really fast growing companies in the greater Philadelphia area through the IPO process. So what are some of the specific issues a company should be thinking about long in advance before they decide to file for a public offering? Yeah, Greg, thanks for including me in this chat as well. You know, one of the things that you want to think about as you're going down the path, whether it's IPO, uh, SPAC, or uh, reverse merger, if you're going to be heading towards the public markets, you should look at your current DNO program and make sure there's coverage in there for roadshow activity and other items that you might be doing, which were not contemplated when you purchase DNO as a private company. And then as you become listed on the exchange, your total, your DNO program will totally change. You'll buy a new DNO policy that includes SEC coverage, and you'll buy tail or runoff their tail on the on your uh, private policy. So having a broker who's kind of able to walk you through that process is really paramount importance. You mentioned, Wayne, there might be some hurdles to secure that DNO. What are some of the hurdles? What are some of the mistakes to avoid if you're a CEO or a CFO moving towards that IPO that you really want to make sure you have in place the right processes? Well, the main thing is your balance sheet. We need a clean balance sheet. And you also want to have your cap table cleaned up. You don't want yeah. to have a lot of legacy outstanding shares that are kind of uh, split up amongst a bunch of groups. The tighter the cap table with more concentrated, really professional investors included on it is going to make it a lot more easy of a process as you approach public markets. One of the things that we like to do is utilize a, a subject matter expert who's a third party for outside of our firm. And he comes in, speaks with the CFO and the CEO and walks them through a big line of questionnaire that is going to assist them when we have conference calls with all of the different markets that we'll go out to in securing a DNO tower, whether it's IPO or just renewal of a regular DNO program for a publicly traded company. Thank you, Wayne. So, Greg, can I ask you a question about some of the stuff that you're working on over there at Sarian? Sure. So, when you're looking at personal risk management issues for some of these founders, as they're either coming into the transaction or maybe subsequent to it, what are some of the biggest things that they need to look at prior to getting ready to go out? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Wayne, the first thing that jumps to my mind is having a contingency plan, because we've all seen companies that have great intentions to, to sell, 
and maybe get to the five yard line and something happens, right? The deal falls apart. So the first piece of advice is have a contingency plan. Make sure you have capital lined up that if you were counting on that capital from a transaction to advance the business, uh, make sure you get alternate sources of capital squared away and make sure you have an alternate succession plan because that too would be really critical if a transaction disintegrates uh, in the in the later stages. Can't underscore as well the importance of a buy-sell agreement. This really takes care of what if there's a debt? What if there's a divorce? What if there's disability among the founders or leadership team? A buy-sell agreement is, is a written agreement and it's often funded with life insurance, as you both know, that allows a senior leadership team to have buyout where they can have liquidity for their spouses or families if something happens to them so that their shares are redeemed uh, and enables the remaining leadership team to then have capital as well to rehire personnel to take over the roles of the person who's no longer able to. So a buy-sell agreement really is very important in going through this process. I think it's also important to recognize that the biggest asset that you have personally when you're a founder and executive of a fast growth company is often that company and it's a liquid. And so making sure that you've got adequate life insurance, not from an investment perspective, but truly from a risk management perspective, that if you pass away and that asset is still illiquid, that your family isn't forced to sell it and they can have liquidity to replace income. So those are the big ones uh, that I see most often. Hmm. And you mentioned disability coverage. Is that something that should be secured by someone outside of the company or should they just buy it through their company? That's a great question, Wayne. And if there's one oversight that I see founders and executives of early mid-stage companies make, it's that one. You know, an executive today in their 40s or 50s, I mean, she or he could work at five or six, seven more companies before they call it a career. And group disability, which is what your company pays for, has a couple flaws to it. The first is, while it appears to be a benefit on paper that your company pays the premium, right, that would be a good thing. But if your company pays the premium in a group disability program and, God forbid, you're disabled, that receipt of disability income is taxable to you. Whereas if you secure your own personal policy, you pay the premium and God forbid you're disabled, that income is received income tax-free. So really important. The other is the definition of disability. When you secure your own policy, most executives get what they call own occupation, specific to the roles of a CEO, COO, CFO, as opposed to the company's policy covers a broad demographic of employees and very has a much narrower definition of disability uh, than mm. the executive would, would, would normally prefer. Um, and then finally, it's really about portability. You know, you can take that policy and whether you go from a startup to a public company or somewhere in between, you could be at multiple companies. And as long as you're paying the premium, you own that policy. It's yours uh, and you're in complete control of it. So that is some of the benefits of a personal policy versus an employer policy. Sorry, when you think about liability limits that a person's buying, and from an umbrella standpoint, the selection of limits before a transaction close and then following the close, how do you advise clients to think about it maybe a little bit differently given the dynamic of a, of a transaction? Right. It's hugely different, Stephanie. It's hugely different because, again, go back to my assumption that prior to an exit, the founder or the executive or the early stage partner's equity in that company is often their biggest financial asset. But 
it is protected by a corporate shield. So if that individual executive was sued or gets into a car accident, that asset is really underneath the umbrella of, of a corporate shield. And so it's a little bit harder to penetrate that. Whereas when they go through an event or sell or exercise a bunch of, of stock options, now that money is in their individual name and is much more accessible. So that's the whole, the whole evolution of insurance, right? It's a life cycle when they go through these transactions. When they're building their company and their company is highly illiquid, that's when they need the life and the disability uh, to protect against replacing their income. If they go through an event and they're fortunate enough to monetize their life's work, now they need that, that umbrella. They need that liability protection. They may not need life insurance in its traditional form or disability because they're self-insured with their liquid asset base. But now they need a layer of protection to make sure that if the contractor is working in their home and says they're insured and is not, and they, they have an accident, they try to sue the homeowner or they have a holiday party. And on the way home, someone slips on the ice and sues them because they don't, didn't do enough job of laying salt down, that they've got some protection between their financial assets and the lawsuit. So the liability protection is really important when you go through an event like that. It's interesting, um, and it's it, since you mentioned that on the umbrella liability side, on the PNC side, when you think about your your general liability policies after a transaction close, in most cases, whether it's an it's due to an IPO or a sale to a private equity backed buyer, you're going to want to increase your umbrella liability on the PNC side, and sometimes in multiples of what you're buying prior, just because your capital structure is so different and it's the deep pocket scenario. So definitely something to consider on that side of the table as well. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Very interesting. Well, Stephanie and Wayne, thank you. We really appreciate your insights and thank you all for taking some time out to listen and hopefully you pull away some nuggets that are useful and look forward to having you join us for our next podcast. Thank you. Seren Strategic Partners is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Sarian Strategic Partners and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Sarian Strategic Partners and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.